Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. I want you to think back on your first real job. Okay, not, not the babysitting, not the paper route thing, okay? When you really got a, a real job, you know, you had to, like a nine-to-five kind of a thing, or maybe it was a summer job. Just, if you could think back to that very first job you ever had, okay? And then just tell the person next to you where, where you started out, okay? What was the first, first job you ever had? Just do it now. All right, so, so you remember that first job? Do you remember getting that first paycheck? You remember how, how that felt like, you know, you never had so much money in your hands at one time? It was just it was a pretty cool feeling, wasn't it? Um, and and a, do you remember your very first day going to that job? You know, the nerves, the, you know, oh, I don't know what, I hope I do okay, I hope I don't get fired on my first day. I remember my first day, my first job, my first real job, my dad was a building contractor, so my first real job was one summer when I turned 16, I started working for him as, as like the gopher, okay, on the job. And I remember my first day, I remember it so clearly because I didn't make it to work that day. <clears throat> True story, I was on my way to the job. In San Francisco, um, it was going to be an uncontrolled intersection. I went through the intersection, come through the intersection. I looked to my right. Here was a big old pickup truck with one of those big, huge grills on the front. Next thing I know, I'm leading the other direction, sitting on top of a fire hydrant that's gushing water all over the place. Okay, that was my first day. I will never forget it. Um, went to the hospital, totaled out my car, the whole thing. Started work the next day. So that was my first day. Um, wherever it was, and whenever it was. You probably, on that first day, on that first job, never thought you would be where you are now in the career or on the job or in the profession that you are now. Because back then, all you were interested in was the money. That's all you wanted. That was that paycheck. But as you matured, hopefully you discovered there are other things, other factors, um, other motivations for your job besides just a paycheck. Um, And that becomes really, really important when you think about that, we spend on average somewhere between 50 and 60% of our waking hours, like half of our life, half of our waking, walking around life on the job, in a workplace. And, and, and actually, recent research, um, and I just heard this this week, I don't know if it's true, but recent research that I heard, somewhere around 80% of people are frustrated or they are dissatisfied with their work. Now, they're too afraid to do anything about it because they're just happy they have a job in this economy. And, and, I, and I understand that um, because a lot, one of the greatest things we have, this fear of losing my job, particularly the way things are right now. Well, we're in this series we're calling The Game of Life, and we're looking at godly wisdom for everyday living, real-life stuff. And we're taking it out of the book of Proverbs and the book of Ecclesiastes primarily, because they're part of a, a, a part of our Bible that's called the wisdom literature, the wisdom books. And, and you find throughout these <clears throat> that God, uh, through Solomon, um, gave some really wise words for just about every area of life. And certainly you would think and you would expect if 50% of our life is spent on the job, that he would have something to say about that. And you would be right. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. And it's a very, very timely subject. Um, because maybe, maybe you're in a job right now, maybe your job's in jeopardy, maybe you're taking those furlough days, um, maybe you're, you're in transition between jobs, 
But there's a lot of really good, solid, godly wisdom for you through this. So that's what we're going to be looking at. And, and remember through this whole series, what we've been saying is the key question you've got to keep asking yourself through every one of these things is this. Do I believe God loves me and he wants the best for my life? Really? Do I really believe that's true? Because if I do, then I will take these principles and I will put them to work into my life. Because even if I don't understand it completely, I know that God would not steer me wrong. He loves me and wants the very best for my life. So the best thing I can do is follow his direction and his leading. And that's what we're going to look at. And whether you are a corporate executive or you spend your day in a cubicle, um, whether you are a teacher, a welder, a stay-at-home mom, and don't kid yourself, that is work, okay? There's some really important words for you. And we're going to look at four particular areas um, that the book of Proverbs addresses. Godly wisdom for how you do your work. And the first one just is simply this. When it comes to your work, understand, it's your responsibility. It's your responsibility. Nobody else's. It really comes down to you taking responsibility for your life. Because God created us to be responsible people. You can go all the way back to the book of Genesis. And one of the first things after God created everything and then created man and woman, he said to them, now, I'm turning it over to you. Have dominion, rule over, take responsibility for all of creation. Now it's on you. Now it's in your hands. Now, he didn't leave us to do it by ourselves, but he said, this is it. He created us in that way. And the thing is, you know that's true because we always feel the best about ourselves when we're taking responsibility for our lives. We we do. We feel the best about it. And, And when we're not... We feel this inner conflict like we, knew, we know we should be doing better. We should be doing something. And so we got this inner conflict. When, and so we know um, we have created for this responsibility. And yet there is something within every one of us, I think, at least it's within me, that wants to shirk my responsibilities. <laughs> I, I'm created to be a responsible being, and yet there's something in me that, that kind of wants to get away with not, to kind of shirk my responsibilities. And, and God knows this. And one of the things that we're told in Scripture, in fact, it's Proverbs 6, 6. Um, Solomon writes, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. Now, I, I just love that verse, you know? Because other translations, other translations say, you know, go to the ant, lazy bones, or go to the ant, you lazy fool. But I just kind of like sluggard, you know? It's just kind of a cool word. In fact, you might just say it out loud with me. Sluggard. Isn't that a cool word? I, I just think, in fact, it's in your memory. I just thought, that's such a cool word. That should be one of our memory verses this week. So in your memory cards, we're going to go over this this morning real quick because this is the extended version of it. If you want to pull it out, this is one you can put on your dashboard on the way to work. All right? Say it out loud with me. Proverbs 6, 6 through 8. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer, nor ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. He says, take a lesson from the ant. Now, if, if you live in Benicia, you got plenty of opportunity, okay? I, I, think, I think our city is built on a great ant hill. I, they just keep coming out of nowhere. But you watch the ant, and they're constantly working. Nothing stops them. Really, nothing stops them. You, know, you spray them and more come back. You know, I don't know what it is. Um, But what he's saying is, don't be a slug. Look at the ant. 
how industrious it is. Learn a lesson there. Don't be a slug. And he says, listen, there are certain qualities of a slug, so you know what to avoid. And one of the things he says is a sluggard has lots of great intentions, a lot of great ideas, a lot of desire, but just never takes responsibility. Proverbs 13, 4. The sluggard craves and gets nothing, but the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. What he's saying is good intentions aren't enough. Great desire is not enough. Sluggards have those. But an industrious person does something. They are diligent in their work. Next one, Proverbs 24. The sluggard does not plow in season. So at harvest time, he looks but finds nothing. Now, here's something you've got to understand about um, the Proverbs. Because there's all kinds of different ways that these Proverbs are written. But there's a lot of sarcasm. I don't know if you've picked this up, if you've been reading this through like each chapter, chapter each day as we've encouraged you to do. But there's a lot of sarcasm there. And you kind of got to get the drift of what this is saying. The slugger doesn't plow in season. Okay? He didn't do the work ahead of time, planting and plowing, doing everything he needed to do. So at harvest time, he looks, but finds nothing. Duh! I mean, what did you expect to go out and find? Oh, it just grew up and here it is, all I need. That's, that's the way the sluggard works. Understand, life is connected. It's one of the clear teachings throughout the Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. Life is connected. We've been talking about this each week. The choices that we make have results, have consequences. The directions that we take with our life have a destination. And, and Scripture says, remember that. Life is connected. The decisions you make now will affect where you end up in the road, in, down the road in the future. So, so understand, there are decisions that you need to make now to have the results that you want down the road. And that is your responsibility. Um, one thing sluggards can do is they can find excuses. I, I love this next one. And, and it's the translation used lazy person, but it really is sluggard. So I'm going to use sluggard here. The sluggard claims, there's a lion out there. If I go outside, I might get killed. That's his excuse for not going to work. Lions in the streets. You never know. There's lion problems around here. Try that one on your boss, you know, someday. Just, ah, I'd like to come to work today, but, you know, there's lions out there. It's, it's ridiculous. But, but that's what sluggards do. They find excuses, and there's never a bad excuse. As preposterous as it might sound, there's never a bad excuse to a slugger. He says, be careful about that. It's your responsibility, your work, your job, your profession, your career. It's your responsibility. You make those decisions. And then he says, in your work, perform your work diligently. I think believers ought to be the best employees, the best employers there are. That we should be at our very, very best. The most energetic workers, the fairest employers, the most reliable managers, um, the most creative teachers, and so on. That, that whatever job you are at, because you are representing God. If, you're, if your co-workers know that you are a Christ follower, if they know that you're a believer, then they are looking at your life. He says, we ought to be the kind of people that don't need to be monitored. That we don't have to have someone keeping an eye on us to make sure we're doing our job. 
Again, Proverbs 6, 6 through 8. Go to the ant, consider its ways. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food. In other words, the ant does its work. Doesn't need somebody checking up on them all the time. Doesn't need someone writing their tail. You know, doesn't need someone constantly telling them, you got to work harder, you got to work better. And as Christ followers, as believers, we should be the best that we can be on the job. The very best employee, the very best boss, the very best manager that we can possibly be. Because our work and how we do our work reflects on our Heavenly Father. Unfortunately, that is not always the case. In fact, it's been my experience and it might be yours. Some of the most religious people I know have been the most irresponsible people I know too. And it's like, well, you know, I just pray so God will get me out of... You know, come on. Just do your work. How you work reflects on God. Let me ask you this morning, just a quick about How are your work habits? What do your work habits say about your Heavenly Father? Do you get to the job on time? Are you constantly the last one there? My first job, I told you, I started out as a carpenter uh, working for my dad. My dad had a foreman, short spark plug kind of guy uh, named Hulkan Lyro. Hulkan Lyro always told me, Workday begins at 8 o'clock. Not getting out of your truck, not driving up to the job site. It's swinging a hammer at 8 o'clock. If you're not swinging your hammer at 8 o'clock, you're late. And he reminded me of that often. (laughs) Sluggard. (laughs) But truthfully, I mean, what does your work ethic say about your faith, about your heavenly father? Are you at work on time? Are you kind of the one that's always dragging in late? At break time, you can extend that coffee break beyond the 15 minutes or whatever it is. Are you making sure you're back on the job when need to be? Are you the one that's always leaving early? And believe me, everybody else on the job knows who leaves early. It shouldn't be us. Because our work reflects on our Heavenly Father. Ultimately, we are accountable to God. Because God has given us skills and talents and abilities. He has gifted us. And he wants us to use those things to their full potential. Now, maybe you're not the most skilled. Maybe you're not the best on your job. But you ought to be the best you can be. Because God has put you there. Look at this next one. Ecclesiastes 5.18. It's good to be satisfied with hard work on this earth. This is what he should do during the few days of life God has given him. That's what God made him for. God made you to work. Work is not a result of the fall. (laughs) It is not a part of the curse. God gifted you. He created you. In fact, if you go on into verse 19, he says, this is all a gift from God. Ultimately, that's who we're accountable to. I, I love this quote. I picked it up this week. The purpose of your life at work is to show that God is at work in your life. Let me say that one again. The purpose of your life at work is to show that God is at work in your life. Your life is a reflection of your Heavenly Father, of His work within you. It it really is. 
And that goes down even to the most mundane and menial and maybe unpleasant task. And every job has them. There's another proverb. This is, if you're not reading these like every day, you are missing out on some really cool stuff. Okay? Listen to this one. And this one you've got to think about. Okay? Here it is. Proverbs 14.4. Just kind of let this one roll over in your mind a little bit. Without oxen, a stable stays clean. But you need a strong ox to a lot, for a large harvest. Now just think about that one. What does that mean? It means if you're going to get the job done right, you're going to have to face your share of poop. <laughs> That's what it says. If you don't have the ox, you don't have to worry about cleaning the stalls. It stays clean. But if you want to get, a, get the job done, you need the ox. Ergo, you need to clean the stables. Yeah. So next time you have a really bad day at work, just say to yourself, okay, this is stable cleaning day, all right? You know, if that helps you get through it, I don't know. Next one is distinguish your work with integrity. Again, this goes back to the idea that your work is a reflection of your heavenly father. So it ought to be done with integrity. And every business, every profession, every job has its ethical challenges. Everyone does. To cut corners. To promise more than you can deliver. To inflate the abilities of the product that you are selling that you know really it doesn't live up to. What do you do? What do you do when your job conflicts with your convictions? How do you handle that? When your boss expects that of you? When when you know just to stay competitive in this market, you're going to have to do some of that cutting corner stuff. What do you do when you're faced with those kinds of things? When it seems unavoidable, what do you do? Because there's a temptation to divide your personal standards from your professional standards. And you can't do that for very long. You can't keep two sets of books when it comes to your ethical choices. Because there's more at stake than your job. There is more at stake than your career. And you might say, but, but that's just not practical. You don't, know that you don't know my business. You don't know what it takes to get ahead. You don't know what it takes to be successful. If I do that, it'll cut into the profit margin. I might even lose my job. Listen, God is far more interested in your character than in your career. And you cannot sacrifice your character for the sake of career and think it's not going to affect you. And think that it's not going to roll over into other areas of your life. And maybe you've done that. Maybe you've had to do that. Maybe you felt you had to do that. But I'm going to tell you, even though you've been able to rationalize it a little bit more because it felt bad at the, first, at the beginning, but now it's not so bad, you can't do that for very long. Because you can't, you, you can't keep those two separate. Your professional standards should match your personal, personal standards. Your convictions should be the same on the job as it is at home. There is more at stake than your job. Listen to this verse. Proverbs 10.2 Ill-gotten treasures have no lasting value. 
But righteousness delivers from death. He's saying you can do it unethically. And you might even profit by it. But in the long run, there's no eternal value there. There's no lasting value there. It might get you further up the ladder, corporate ladder. It might get you that job. It might, you know, it might work for a little while. But ultimately, it has no lasting value. Righteousness is what you need. That'll deliver you from death. God cares more about your character than your career. And He cares as much about how you succeed than how much you succeed in life. Don't sacrifice your character. Proverbs 11.1 1, The Lord abhors dishonest scales, but accurate weights are His delight. Now, again, in our context, that, what in the world does that mean? Well, they didn't have barcodes, you know, and scanners. And, and most of what went on in terms of transactions was by weight. In fact, the actual currency was not, not necessarily a coin, but it was the weight of the coin. The shekel was a weight, measurement of weight. So if you sold something for 50 shekels, it was 50 weights, shekel weights of that. And he's saying that's what God looks for. He abhors dishonest scales. But accurate weights are his delight. Again, remember, your decisions are going to lead you somewhere. Your choices have a destination. And if you keep sacrificing integrity... There's a path, and there's a place that that ends up. See, all of these things are godly principles. And you cannot break God's principles without them breaking you. You cannot. Ultimately, you're the one who suffers. John Ortberg We've been um, reading from this book a little bit through this series. And um, I want you to know at the Resource Center, we've, we've restocked. So we've got some in there if you've been... Because um, I know some people went there and we sold out of them. Um, but it's John Ortberg's book. Uh, when the game is over, it all goes back in the box. And he writes about this whole thing of ethics and playing by the rules. He says, we want to follow the rules, but we are prepared to break them if we think we can get away with it and if that's what it takes for us to win. We are ready to cheat if... That's what doing well at the game requires. The journey to integrity requires the cultivation of a desire. I must want to be good more than I want to do well. It requires a decision. I will choose to play with integrity and lose rather than cheat and win. It requires a belief that I cannot cannot succeed in what I do and fail at who I am. This is some really, really, really good words. And Proverbs says, instead of cutting corners, instead of massaging the numbers, instead of you know, doing that little dishonest little gray area kind of stuff, he says, instead of that, just get better at your job. Well, my, if I don't cut the corners, you know, I'm not going to meet production, and then my boss is going to be, I might lose my job. No, just get better at your job. Improve your skills. Look at this next one, Proverbs twenty-two twenty-nine. Do you see a man skilled in his work? He will serve before kings. He will not serve before obscure men. In other words, if you get to be the best at your job, if you are, if you are at the top of your performance peak on your job, you will get noticed. 
And you will be invaluable to your company on your job and even get away with not cutting corners. Because if you are that skilled and you work that hard at it, that trumps everything else. The last one. Give your work its proper priority. And priority for your work is not number one. See, too often we define who we are by what we do. Have you noticed that when you meet somebody for the first time, you get their name, and then what's the second question you typically ask? So what do you do? What do you do? And we tend to identify who we are by what we do. And he says, you've got to keep this stuff in, in proper perspective. We looked at this verse last week, and this is a really important one. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. That's your other memory verse for this week. Have the wisdom to show restraint. We said it last week. 20 years from now, your boss is not going to care about the overtime that you put in. But your children will. Your children will remember. I have never had a child say to his father when he got home at night after playing with him, Okay, Daddy, we've played enough now. Go back to work. (laughs) You will never hear that from a child. Never hear a wife say, You're home early? (laughs) Go back to work. Well, maybe some, I don't know. Maybe I overstepped on that one. Honestly, honestly, because really what it comes down to is you've got to take a good hard look at your motivations. Because you might say, I'm just trying to provide for my family. But be honest. Be honest. Ecclesiastes 4.4 All labor and all achievement spring from a man's envy of his neighbor. And things haven't changed a whole lot in 3,000 years. This too, he says, is meaningless a chasing after the wind. Be honest about your motivation. Because truthfully, most of us in our work do more than just provide for our family. We're looking for the next level of toys, of stuff, of money in the bank. He says that is a chasing after the wind. You will never catch it. And here's the truth of the matter. Someday, you will leave your job. Someday you will. Every one of us someday will leave the job we're in right now. I love this church. I've been pastor of this church since its inception for almost 20 years now. I love the people. I love what we do. I love the people that I work with. I love the people. But I'm going to tell you, someday my tenure at Northgate is going to end. It it just will. Not for a long time, I hope, but it will. Every job that you have someday will come to an end. So don't, don't tie your identity to your work. Because when that job comes to an end, when that when that position, when that work comes to an end, who are you? Who are you? Don't let that be your identity. Yes. Work is personal. And yes, there is a certain amount that we're using our God-given gifts. And yes, it is personal. Yes, I, I understand that. We talked about that already. But don't let that be your only identity. 
Because if it is, then things like a recession and cutbacks and furlough days and pay freezes or wage reductions all become personal. And I think over the last year and a half, two years, we have seen how personal it is. It takes its toll. It takes its toll on our pride. It takes its toll on our families, on marriages, on health, on emotions. Yes, it does. But be careful not to tie your identity too much in there. You will not find meaning. You will not find purpose. You will not find your identity through your work. You will only find those things through God. Only through God. And when you know through Him your purpose and your meaning and your identity, then you become better at your job. Not because that's how you identify yourself, but that's how you express the Heavenly Father's work in your life. All labor, all achievement spring from a man's envy of his neighbor. Just keep that in mind. Last one. Proverbs fifteen sixteen. Better to have a little with fear for the Lord than to have great treasure and inner turmoil. What he is saying is, it is better to find your identity in God, even if it means not getting that promotion, not moving up the corporate ladder. Better to have little in right relationship with God than to have your full success in your career and still have that inner turmoil because it's not your real identity and it's no meaning and no purpose in it. He's saying, in essence, put your trust where it really belongs. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.